30th September 21 marks the global target for at least 10% of country populations to have been vaccinated against COVID-19. That is, at least 10% of every country has accessed full doses of a vaccine. While countries such as the United States of America has so far administered full doses of a vaccine to over 50% of their population, only about five African countries are set to reach the 10% target. The World Health Organization also notes that of the 4.8 billion vaccine doses delivered to date globally, 75% have gone to only 10 countries while vaccine coverage in Africa is at less than 2%. What some are terming vaccine apartheid has shown how wide the gap between the rich countries and the poor countries, particularly the African continent. This poses the question, why is Africa being left behind? Hello and welcome to The Response a podcast curated and produced under for equality. The, the response is a campaign driven by the urgent need to ensure that women or girls are not left behind in the pandemic response. That is, their voices are heard and needs are prioritized. This podcast is an extension of the response newsletter and is a platform for deeper discussion. Each week, we'll be hosting feminist leaders, activists, scholars, political leaders and young women to discuss and analyze emerging issues from a feminist perspective. I am Jessica Mandanda, the editor of The Response, your host, and today we're talking about vaccine inequality and the need for equity in the global vaccine distribution. With me today is our host, um, our guest, Dr. Bridget Malerezi. Welcome and thank you for being here with me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, before we begin, um, you have been quite vocal in, in advocating and encouraging people to get vaccinated, but also just bringing to light the lived experiences of different um, people when it comes to access to the vaccine. So can you maybe just first introduce yourself and then just get into a little bit about why you thought it was important for you to speak out about this? Uh, sure. So I'm uh, Bridget Malewezi. I'm a medical doctor by profession and a public health specialist. So I deal in public health. And as you can see, COVID is a very public health. It yes. Holds everybody it holds across the spectrum. So this is sort of the work that we were training for yeah. in terms of working and, and engaging the public. Um, and, you know, COVID came at a time when it's a new disease. That's just the reality. It was a new disease. No one understood it, and we we're learning as we we're going. Yeah. So some of the things that there's, you know, this era where people are, you know, there's there's lots of new information coming out. Yeah. But not all of it is easily palatable and easily translatable for someone in the sort of local context. Mm. You know, sometimes even people would quote um, research that's coming out, but they don't understand the nuances or the sort of things that are, you know, sort of some of the information that's coming out. I'll give an example. For example. Um, Last year, I think one of the research papers mm -hmm. announced that um, steroids, dexamethasone, was a useful drug for treating COVID. <laughs> yes, yes. All of the people ran out to buy, you know, sort of steroids, and were like, "No, but you have to read the research paper. They clearly stipulate that it's not every COVID infection. It yeah. actually is the ones who are admitted in hospital, who are sick on ventilators. Wow. Then it works." Mm -hmm. So that kind of information, I think, I realized that it's it's 
yes, we're living in a world where there's access to information and everybody can open their Google or open, mm. you know, sort of their TV or Facebook, wherever they're getting their information from and get this information. But it is important to be able to have somebody translate it for you. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, we're all reading English, but I think it's just like deciphering it for you, simplifying it for you, making it palatable for the local context, especially because we're seeing things happening in the US, yeah. in the UK, and then we're looking in Malawi and saying what's happening here, what, yeah. why are we doing things differently? So that's that's really why I, I sort of took on the challenge of, of doing this sort of advocacy for information for the public in Malawi. Yeah. I've actually been doing, you know, I've, I've had a column for... 12 years now. So it's something that I've been doing before. I also do um, COVID awareness for mm. the Society of Medical Doctors. I was also doing public awareness and public relations. So it's sort of in the realm of what I was already doing. And yeah. I just thought it makes sense to broaden that to really help people make the right decisions. Because without the right information, I think many people do get lost and yeah. make incorrect decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because, you know, COVID 19 started sort of as a rumor yeah um i remember i was at school at the time and you know one of the students just showed up to class one day and he was like you know i i i, I just saw a report that there's an outbreak of, of this new virus in china you know we all need to be careful and the rest of us are like well that's in china yeah like, we can't expect yeah. that to you know come all the way mm -hmm. to where we are let alone any of our other countries you know and in less than a month, yep. everything was shut down. Yeah, yeah. And this is unlike any other virus that's out there. This is a global yep. pandemic. Um, yeah. You know, for, for, for the African continent, continent, for example, we have other viruses that yeah. kill faster, like um, the Ebola virus, yeah. for example. But yeah. for people to understand that virus, it has taken years of research. Yeah. And, and they also haven't found a cure yeah. or a vaccine for that. Um, and so I think... You know, with COVID, especially for the African context, we're not necessarily the, the fastest or the easiest to convince when it comes to newer methods of health. We're yeah. more leaning towards um, our own traditional kind of medicine. Um, I saw this especially when the ginger mixes and the interesting herbal mixes yeah. that people were encouraging other people to take and the the steaming, etc. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, and I, and I think it's um, you know, I would say like we we are. It's it's a it's a dynamic, right? We've obviously yeah. got a society where we've got a, you know diverse populations, others who really believe and trust in like sort of herbal, as you're saying, or traditional medicines, as yeah. well as sort of younger populations who are willing and take on other things. Um, you know, I I think our it it's just been a crazy. I I think I also had a similar experience where. I was I was actually traveling at the time, um, and I remember also opening my 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 newsfeed and being like, "Oh, there's some outbreak in China." Yeah. Um, and I, I the reality is, you know, they do get kind of a number of outbreaks happening. They've had you know sort of other diseases, and yeah. sort of said, "Oh, okay, that's fine." So I think the rapid way in which COVID nineteen sort of suddenly became not only a China problem, but it became a you know sort of spread through Europe, then the U.S. and then Africa, and it was just suddenly nearly yeah. you know, so it was everywhere all of a sudden. I think that was remarkable, the speed, the, you know, sort of how many it affected and how much it's progressed. And I think also yeah. just how much we've learned over the years, because there was a time when we were, you know, sort of assuming that, you know, once you went to Canada, it's gone. We yes. Think, we think of, you know, we didn't realize we'd have wave one, wave two, wave three, you yes, know, we sort of yes, thought yes. when it comes, we've had it, it's gone, we'll deal with the next thing and we'd be over and done with it. So there's a lot of things that we're learning and still learning. And I think that as you're, as you're indicating in our society where, 
you know, one, our health literacy is low yeah. already. You know, I think we know that, for example, when people go to the hospital, they don't even know the name of the drug they've gotten. Yes. Um, they might not even know the name of the infection or disease that they've had. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll just say they gave me blue pills or red pills. <laughs> yes. um, so I think the reality of that kind of context in our context where health literacy, understanding what diseases are, what a germ is, what a virus is, yes. all of that, um, you know, and then trying to then advocate for disease prevention. You know, I think that's what we're seeing is like trying to tell people to wear masks, trying to people to yes. work and wash, trying to tell people to do all these things. It's, it's been challenging because it's like, these are concepts that are new and you have to sort of try and layer them on top of what is traditionally and culturally already yeah. here. Yeah. I think another very important thing there um, is when we were given the preventative measures, um, wear a mask, um, use sanitizer, um, social distance, um, one key thing was how this is very hard to implement in countries like Malawi, we're already small, we already exist in very small spaces where we're so compacted together, you know, for example, the public transport system yeah, is yeah. so, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily yeah. um, very well responsive mm -hmm. um, to, to preventative measures. Mm -hmm. And beyond just the public transport system, um, you know, as a country, I think one of the things that we, we did not necessarily do well is that the leaders themselves were not following mm -hmm. um, the, the rules. Um, and, uh, and on that, maybe also let me just now tap into the conversation on, on the, the vaccine itself. Um, the vaccine is, I think, one of the biggest ways that has shown um, that human beings or humanity is very um, keen to adapt to new situations. I mean, there was this threat, this global threat, and we responded very quickly. Um, you know, the vaccines were, were uh, created or, you know, they made the vaccines. And it, that caused a lot of questions of, you know, were they already in the process of coming up with a vaccine? Did they already anticipate an outbreak like that? Or, you know, if they came up with this vaccine so quickly, what has been stopping them from coming up with vaccines for other viruses like the Ebola virus? Um, and on top of that, you know, we also saw... Um, wealthier countries like the united states and so you know um europe and and wealthy countries just being first in line to purchase the vaccine and vaccinating their people but then for that to trickle down to yeah. africa it it took some time mm -hmm. and even today um a lot of people in that on the african continent have not been vaccinated yet um and you know that can be attributed to maybe we don't have enough vaccines i know uh, every, I think every time there'll be an announcement that, um, you know, now we have vaccines available, you can access them at this and this and this and this center. Um, and But you would see that by the time that those vaccines arrived in Malawi, maybe 5% of the American population in that time had been um, vaccinated. So what, I mean, how would you, how did that make you feel? Um... You know, I think it was it's 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 heartbreaking. I guess I think that's the easiest way for to describe. Mm. Um, you know, especially I think as we, you know, I think there was a time, like for example, when the first wave happened, there was no vaccine, mm. um, so there was a this kind of reality. It was just sort of like we we try and do the other preventive measures the best we could. Um, and then when the vaccines were available, I think that you know when we we're getting into our second wave, December, January, 
we knew that other countries were vaccinating their people. And yeah. we already knew that you know some of the data that had come out in terms of what the vaccines can do, they protect you from death, they protect from severe illness, they limit your number of admissions. And as you saw how we scrambled in the second wave, how yeah. it was like we started thinking, you know, overflow of our hospitals. Yes. Um, you know, we suddenly had to convert Bingu, you know, sort of stadium to a treatment center. Yeah. Um, trying to just cope with the numbers that we were having in a lot of places. I think that is often really, really challenging for anybody to try and work in this setting where you know. And I, I mean, sometimes it's the reality of working in healthcare in Malawi, to be honest. Yeah. You know, we, are, we, we have been poorly resourced for a long time. <laughs> yes. But I think the reality of realizing, I think at that time when we were working and then realizing that, oh, actually, you know, a country like Canada has enough for 10 times their population. Yeah. You need it for, like, you know, are you going to vaccinate exactly. these people 10 times? What is, you know, so I understand, you know, sometimes that um, in the terms of like country, you want to get enough for your country. But to me, it doesn't make sense to get three times the amount for your own yeah. country. Like, if you have three times for your population, who are you and you've ordered <laughs> and nobody else can get it? Yeah. And now, you know, the countries that really want can't get access. Um, that to, that sort of reflects the issues about vaccine equity, right? That there yeah. was not only a scramble to get enough for their population, which, you know, understandably is something that everybody wants to do. But there was like they got in excess yes. and the excess that they got was you know now it's now the time when we started begging to ask them for their surplus or what is available i i think that is really challenging from our from our perspective and to see people die until now um because they've not had access to vaccines is, is really uh it's it, it just breaks my heart yeah um on the same point you know um we see countries um that have acquired more than um, what they need, um, whereas um, I think it's it's Europe that has about a hundred and they have enough vaccines to vaccinate a hundred and eighty something percent of their population, yeah. which is, I mean, what do you need it for? Yeah. Um, and it also brings in the question of um, a lot of African countries, a lot of you know lower income countries such as Malawi, we're very dependent mm -hmm. on on those countries that are wealthier. Mm -hmm. They have. Um, a lot more resources than we do, um, especially when we're looking at health um, resources. Mal like you mentioned, Malawi is not necessarily very well um, to do when it comes to uh, the situation of, of um, quality health and the access to quality health. So right now, it's also bringing the question of, do we still then continue on depending on these countries, you know, that have for a very long time supported us in so many ways, but now when it's literally a situation of life or death, they are choosing to not um, help us, mm -hmm. you know, and also at a time when globally we came together to talk about generation equality. Mm -hmm. How exactly is this reflecting on, on, on that? And, yeah. and like um, countries like Canada, for example, they're signed on to all these commitments as a global village, but they're unwilling. Acting, they're acting differently yes. based on the commitments that they've said. It, I think they think that are said public. I mean, like they say commitments that they're making for equality, for example, mm -hmm. and then the actions are not speaking to those kind of, um, yeah. um, you know, sort of uh, commitments. Again, I think for me, it's it's always been like. I get that you want to protect your population and it makes sense, but if you're going to get excess, I think that that is greed in an essence. I think that's what we're worried about when it comes to equity is the fact that there are countries that cannot access. And, you know, the reality of the of those of those commitments and the prices that they the, the sort of purchases that they made was that it limited others from accessing. You know, if a factory can only make 100 vaccines yeah. and you buy 
twice, you know, because your population is going to, your population is 20 and then you buy 60, there's only 40 <laughs> left, you know, so, yeah. the, you know, you've already, you've, you've limited all the others from getting, and that's the reality. I think that's part of it as well. There isn't a surplus. There's global supply shortage as well. These factories and manufacturers are not, you know, it's, I think it's fine if you're living in a world where there's plenty of vaccines, you know, it's tons of it available, you can get at any time. But we also know that the manufacturers have challenges in getting it, you know, and we saw that even like, for example, um, I think one of the, the biggest headlines that was was um, was um, circulating earlier in the year was when uh, India had their own um, sort of yeah. wave. And they were saying that they're the biggest producer, but they're exporting and they could, and who's buying? It's everyone else outside and they yeah. don't have enough for their own population. That doesn't make sense, you know, and I think those are the kind of things you need to be starting to explore is like um, not only equity in terms of like buying, but also in terms of production. I think yeah. there's limitations in terms of the ability for countries like, you know, why can't Malawi produce its own vaccine? Why yeah. can't you get a factory? I mean, like, obviously, there's a lot of other <laughs> things that can go on, yeah. on and so forth. But I think when you look at it, it's like there is a limited number of suppliers um, and manufacturers and therefore either let us expand the manufacturing to our setup in our you know in local places where then you get your supplies we also produce supplies for our countries or you you know you you don't buy too much for yourself like yeah. you if we're talking about equality or equity you need to you need to walk the talk that you're talking about Absolutely. it's not it's not right to sort of talk about equality and equity and then act the opposite way and hoard um, vaccines and then donate when they're about to expire or you know so I, I think it's, <laughs> yes. it's 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 these kind of things and obviously you know there's a global platform where we've been able as a country to get through you know the COVAX facilities for example yeah. or other donations from AU but I I it is sad I think that the, how everything has played out and even I mean, the reality is um, that it's still playing out even today and some of the times we're seeing some of the headlines where because we got a vaccine that is not European, for example, um, you know, sort of approved by the FDA, European, whatever, EMA, and suddenly our vaccine vaccination, I'm fully yes. vaccinated, but because the vaccine is not approved by Europe, they see me as unvaccinated. Yes. It continues. Even though we're getting vaccines now, apparently there's some sort of hierarchy to the type of vaccine I get. Yes. So all of that is like, it's, it's continuing, even not only in terms of like accessing getting the vaccination, but it seems like the type of vaccination I get is also being vetted. And so there's all these multiple layers that we're, we're dealing with. Um, and it's, it seems to go on and on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's I think, a very, um, I read that article and yeah. um, I felt so many things from that. It, um, it, it just, it made me feel less, less than. Yes. Um, of course, globally, the UK has had a lot of issues when it comes to equality and also hints of racism and segregation. Um, but this is a global pandemic. Everybody has been affected by this. What then makes you know the UK so special? And also considering the fact that um, a lot of people from Africa do go to the UK for education, um, for employment, and for a lot of other things. And now they have sort of drawn this line um, to say, you know, no, you cannot come into our country because your vaccine is not good enough for us. Yeah. And this is also coming from um, one of the greatest colonizers <laughs> of all time. And um, unfortunately, they're also saying your vaccine is not good enough to countries that they did initially colonize. Yeah. So there's a lot of questioning there around. And I, and, and I think what that what it does 
it doesn't help us yeah um because you know especially like i said we're working on trying to promote access locally but if you're hearing a message that says the vaccine you're getting is not approved by mm -hmm. the UK, for example, you start to wonder, is our vaccine less than? Yeah. And it's not. The reality, and I think these are some of the things that they're not saying when they do these um, measures, is to say it's because it's not approved in yeah. our setting. And maybe they need to just get approval because we need to get the paperwork done. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, the message that comes across to the layperson is that it must be that the vaccine they're getting in the West is better. It's mm -hmm. a good quality one. And then the African one, we're getting a low quality one. It's not yeah. true. That's not right. Like, for example, and I think it was challenging to think of that that way because, for example, when Europe, and, uh, you know, it's, it's broad. It was just not UK, but it was broad that when Europe was saying you can't, if you're getting your your AstraZeneca COVID, COVID vaccine, mm. um, from which was made in India, that's not going to be approved. You're like, but it's the same formulation. It literally yes. is the same thing. It's like, for example, and I try to explain to other people that literally it's just like the way that Sobo is made. You will get a Sobo that is made in Blata, you get a Sobo from Lilongwe. It's Sobo. It doesn't matter where it's made. Yeah. It's like, it's still Sobo. So the fact that you suddenly discriminate is literally what they're doing is saying, in Blantyre, we will only drink the Blantyre sobo, um, you know, because it's made in Blantyre, yes. because we haven't, you know, we haven't seen the Lidongwe sobo. That's not right, because it is sobo. It's it's literally the same thing. And I think that that's something that um, when they make these declarations, it impacts on us. I think a declaration like that, not only does it make us feel lesser than, but it really does impact on our ability to improve uptake, because the when the public sees that, um, they see as, you know, our ministry or our government is trying to give us this low quality vaccine yeah, yeah. Um, we're not going to take it and that that's been one of the challenges we've faced is that people think that we're getting a low quality vaccine exactly. that there's a, a vaccine that is uh, for the west and a vaccine for the for the for africans which is lower quality and it's bad yeah. for you and that's not true i think that's unfair it, yeah. it, it is definitely unfair and um recently i think um the this was it had, has to be maybe a month or two months ago. Mm -hmm. um, the director general of, of the World Health Organization, um, uh, he said, you know, at the point where we, this point where we have reached, where countries like the UK um, are saying, well, that vaccine is not good enough for for you know for people to come into the UK, um, or you know the simple fact that richer, wealthier countries. Um, have vaccinated all their people and they're sort of now looking down on mm -hmm. the rest of the world who have not and that is largely Africa who you know yeah. we haven't even reached five percent yeah. of the entire yeah. continent's um, population and he said we have reached a point of vaccine apartheid mm -hmm. and you know in, in in the African history apartheid is it has a lot of it has a lot of connotations a lot of connotations and a lot of negative mm -hmm. traumatizing um, memories from that word and I think for me, when I, when I read the reports and when he was explaining, you know, that this is where we are at mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that was said because we're looking at the situation of Africa. Africa, when it comes to the health systems of Africa, they're not, um, you know, they're not top quality. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of factors that, that, that are, you know, yeah. that, that contribute to that. However, um, for wealthier countries to not even consider supporting us in a, in a more adequate way or in a more, you know, a more equal way, I think that has now drawn a global line where Africa, right now, we can clearly see where we stand globally, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, we can see where we stand and we can, we're clearly seeing how the, the West uh -huh. views us. Yeah. And it's very unfortunate that we, it, 
we we had to go through a global pandemic for us to get to a point of realization yeah. that this is where we stand globally. Yeah. How are we supposed to recover from this? We're yet to recover from the pandemic. Yeah. But now how do we recover from this further, you know, inequality? So I, I think that we're living in a world, and I, I mean, like, to be fair, we were seeing the sort of nationalistic agenda way before, you know, sort of COVID. And I think yeah. that this is playing out in the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, I think it, it, it is becoming obvious that it's every man for themselves, every country yeah. for themselves. Um, and that's why we're, why we're seeing these kind of things where people just hoard for themselves and not think about others. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I think that when you have that kind of reality, you have to sort of do some self-respect, sort of introspection and reflection about what you as a country want to do. I know, and I think we were recently at the Ministry of um, sort of Health Sector Review discussing our next strategic plan and thinking yeah. about what is our, and, and what I could hear from like sort of the guiding principles of that is like self-reliance and really yeah. thinking about moving away from donor dependence because you can't keep, you know, for example, the health system is run 60%, at least our health budget in Malawi is run, run between 60 to 75% on some of the programs, some yeah. programs 90% are funded externally. Wow. That means that our government <laughs> wow. is not putting money into those things. Yes. Um, so you, you have to move away from that because if you're so reliant, and I think that's the reality we have now, is we're so reliant on donor funding, on yeah. external funding, that when the external donor decides to do something different um, or decides to be very nationalistic, you're, you're stranded. Exactly. And you know, you're sort of crying foul. And there is a lot of response around, well, you know, you should be self-reliant. So, so I think that, <laughs> yes. you know, yes, yes, it's, it's heartbreaking to see this, but I think it should also be like an eye-opener for ourselves. Um, you know, a lot of people were saying things like, we've been so reliant on like external referrals, for example. There was a time you couldn't fly out anywhere. There was no flights. There was yes. nothing you could get out. And suddenly you have hospital. You have to think about, well, now you have to go to KCH. Now you have to go to Queens. You have no choice. There's no option for you to fly out anymore. Yeah. So those things, I think that, I think that um, they should still be, I mean, I know we talk about the vaccine equity for now, but these are things that you should, we should be thinking about. How do we get to the point where, you know, if we are... You know, if we're if beyond COVID, how do we get to a point where we don't rely so much on external funding yeah. on donors? You know, if we have to get vaccines, like for example, is there? You know, it's a it can be a long term plan. We've got this, for example, the Malawi Vision Twenty Sixty Three, for example. Yeah. Could we add there manufacturing of our own that looks at health manufacturing, our own drugs, our own? You know, because I think there's a lot of things that we're bringing in that could easily be done. I saw, and I think that's one of the things we saw was. Um, you know, when everything was shut down, there was no flights, suddenly people started making sanitizers and you're like, oh, so we, <laughs> we can, can make do this. Yeah, yeah, we can make sanitizers, we can make these masks, we can make some things. I mean, there's some things that are simple enough that we could make them and we've always wondered why do we have to get them done. Yeah. Vaccines might be more complicated, but certainly I think that we could start to explore how to develop ourselves. It could be a development agenda, it could be an empowerment agenda, it could just be everything in terms of moving forward for our country. Right. Um, on that note, we're going to take a short break and we will be right back. Great. Welcome back to the Response Podcast. And we have been having quite a conversation around um, vaccine distribution globally and also just looking at the equality aspect of it how you know has it been equal and 
um, who is who exactly has access to the, the the vaccine at a global level? And now let's now maybe talk about our context here in Malawi. Um, you know, initially when 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 we started having these conversations about the vaccine, it was on television, it was on radio, um, newspapers, and mostly mainstream media. Now. Looking at the population of Malawi, where about above seventy percent is in eighty-four percent, wow, is you know in the rural areas where you know there's no internet, there's no access to electricity in most areas. Um, how would we then justify? I mean, of course, it's important that we, we we have focused on visibility on mainstream media, but what about the people who don't have access to the mainstream media? What about them? Um, before we, we get to that, um, when the first, uh, I guess, load of vaccines came to, to the country, um, we saw our president and the vice president traveling to Dzomba, um, to the state house to get vaccinated there. Um, I'm not sure what the justification for, you know, spending extra government funds to go to Zomba. I'm sure there was some significance. However, you know, there was that illusion of you go there, you get vaccinated, it's done, you will move on with your life. Um, however, once the president was done getting vaccinated, um, you know, people tried to access the vaccine, but there were very few doses. And I remember one particular um, experience from a friend of mine um, who went to get vaccinated. Um, however, when, when they got there, the gates were closed and the guards told them that, you know, we don't have any more doses right now. And this friend of mine happens to be um, a, a medical practitioner as well. And, and they were like, no, we were told specifically to come here because this is the only place that has doses left. And they're like, oh, you're in the medical, you know, you're in the medical sector. You can come in, but the rest of don't just don't tell anybody else mm. because there's only very few vaccines, uh, there's only few doses left and yeah. there's, they've been saved for specific people. Yeah. Now you look at the, the maybe, you know, the, the, the Malawian who has, taken several buses just to get to that place to get access to the vaccine that we have been told is open to everybody but they get there and they're told you cannot access whereas the people inside are saving doses for other people who are on a different maybe financial level in comparison to um the, the malawian who's coming from the rural areas has it exactly been equal locally so i mean i think we have to factor in a number of things um i think at the beginning um, of the distribution they, it was a prioritized list um it was meant to be health workers um you know those with comorbidities the elderly yeah um, and then they sort of started to expand out to include other people so i think there were phases in which access was not equitable it, it was designed that way because yeah. you wanted to prioritize those with most risk obviously health workers because they are in the health setting they're most yeah. likely to get it the elderly because those are the highest risk and then obviously those with comorbidities yeah um, i think beyond that then we just didn't have enough um i think when we did open up to say anyone and everyone come and get mm. the vaccine it just wasn't enough and i think we saw the scrambles we saw the scramble when the first batch came it finished people sort of crying foul, it's gonna get, when are we gonna get the rest, sort of waiting. Yeah. Um, we saw the scramble for the second batch. Um, we saw how people, even at the delay, right? So people were like, oh, you, you told us we'll get our second dose in three months, and suddenly there's nothing. I'm hitting three months, I'm hitting four months, there's yeah. nothing on the ground. So I think it speaks to the supply issues. And I think obviously there's different practices that maybe other facilities were providing. Yeah. But on a global, I mean, like on a, on a national scale, what we saw was just there wasn't enough yes. at the time that it was needed. 
um, at the time that we required it. And then I think one of the challenges, I think that's also been the challenge of, um, you know, our country was we didn't have enough, but we ended up having some expire. So that, yes. that weird um, sort of it's an oxymoron of like, they're saying they don't have enough, they're crying foul. And we saw, I mean, the reality is you saw how the international media really burned us and sort of <laughs> put us on the thing about the whole this country that was begging for vaccines and we burned their vaccine. Um, you know, I think that it, it's, it's been a weird um, dynamic of those who really, really wanted, really wanted and bought um, and tried to get as much as possible and then we're sitting in a situation now where the the lack of access is not because of non-availability, which was what was happening at the beginning. Now it's because of lack of knowledge and understanding. And that also is an equity, is an equity issue. Yeah. Because if somebody doesn't fully understand that this vaccine is going to protect me, that it's not 666, it's not going to be the end <laughs> of my life, and things like that, yeah. that also is, a, is an equity issue. It means they haven't been educated, that there's mm -hmm. something that is giving a disparity to them they're not accessing the vaccine. So we're, what we're experiencing now is more to do with, um, again, these myths and misconceptions that are now, and unfortunately, they do affect more of the rural, they do affect yeah. more of the uneducated, the, those with lower socioeconomic status, those are the ones that lack this type of information up. They take it on as the most truth. Mm. If you, as, and I think that's one of the challenges we're facing as health workers and you know, sort of people who are advocating for the truth about vaccines is that, People have been fed so many bad lies. Yeah. It's really, really tough to try and get them to understand that you are you are putting yourself at risk. Get get this vaccine. It's going to protect you. You know, I recently had a colleague whose partner died. Um, you know, fiance died, and you know, to me, he was young. Mm. Um, you know, he was in his thirties, had no comorbidities, but he did um, mm. had COVID. And I said, but if he had, and I, you know, in our heads were like. He would have survived if he had been vaccinated. Yeah. But it was because of religious issues and you know, sort of a uh, stance against, you know, this is so when you're looking at it like that, like I feel like I, I think for me that's what breaks my heart now. That's it, that equity is now leaning towards people who have been fed the wrong information, mm. misconceptions. Now they can't access they the vaccines are all over. I mean, uh, maybe they're not like, you know, maybe your facility might not have, but there is enough available in most facilities mm. right now. And yet people are not going, not because there's none, but because they've been fed the wrong information and now mm -hmm. they're in a position where they're not getting the vaccine. And I think that's the disparity that we're facing now is how to shift people from this sort of cloud of, of, of myths and wrong yeah. information to be enlightened and see the light <laughs> and get and yeah. get to get the vaccine. Yeah. Um, you know, on, on the point on, on myths, I think um you know, a lot of African countries were very prone to believing myths and, and all these superstitions. And, and I know in Malawi to sort of move away from these myths has been very difficult. Mm -hmm. I mean, we, we can see also with what happens with contraception, where mm -hmm. people opt not to get contraception um, because of all these myths about infertility mm -hmm. and, and um, I don't know, on both sides for men and women. Um, and now that same myth has mm -hmm. also been applied or attached mm -hmm. to the vaccines yeah. um, in that, you know, right now women are opting to not go yeah. for, for the vaccines because they're afraid they'll, they'll become infertile. Now, on the same point, you know, this is something that a lot of African women were raised mm -hmm. to be very attached to, that's your fertility, mm -hmm. if, you do, if you're not um, fertile or if you're not able to have a child, you know, that's sort of like a dark cloud of yeah, you as an yeah, African yeah. woman. So now, 
here comes this vaccine and then along with it comes this myth that Mm -hmm. says if you get this vaccine you're not going to be fertile anymore and now women um, are not going to to get vaccinated because they're afraid they'll become infertile how do we navigate how do we navigate this I think that the reality is for people to realize that there is a movement of people who don't want to get people vaccinated, mm-hmm. not just for COVID vaccines. There's been a movement against vaccines generally. Yes. Um, and, and that's been there all the time. And a lot of these myths are just being, as you said, sort of carried along into whatever vaccine or whatever medication you're trying to give. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that there's always this myth that it's a global conspiracy to, to sterilize all of Africa, <laughs> um, to make us all sterile. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's, that's unfair, and I think I, I find that those those who propagate those myths um, are killing people yeah. um, indirectly because you might not be holding the gun, but you surely gave them the gun to kill themselves with because yeah. you gave them the right to you know to you gave them information that made them not t- take the right choice. Yeah. The reality, and I want to address this for women, is that you know the vaccines have no impact at all on fertility. Um, women, and again, because we realize women who have received the vaccines, and that more than 150,000 women have received, pregnant women actually, have received the vaccine, mm-hmm. um, and either they received the vaccine just before pregnancy and got pregnant, or were pregnant and have delivered and they've been mm-hmm. fine and the babies are okay. Those things are important things for women to understand as well. And I know, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of us do hold fertility as sort of this sacred thing as a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that. To speak to those um, who worry about it is to say the vaccines are safe. Um, women who've had the vaccine before being pregnant have been able to get pregnant. It's not going to affect anything in your fertility. It's not going to accumulate in your ovaries or yeah. anything. Um, I think those are some of the myths that are coming across yes. that the vaccine will you know, sort of collect in your ovaries and ruin your fertility. That's not true. Um, there is no none of that. Actually, the vaccine doesn't stay in your body at all. Um, it literally induces a reaction and it's it's destroyed in your body. So it doesn't, even the next week when we're trying to look for the vaccine, it's not going to be in your body. It's yeah. the reaction it induces that comes up um, for women. The next thing is to say that um, for pregnant women, because that's the second group, and I think yes. when we're talking about equality, I think when we're trying to look at it from a gender perspective, pregnant women have been the second group that have really avoided um, getting the vaccine. Understandably, I think it is a sensitive time. Um, you're acquiring a baby, um, you yourself are pregnant, trying to understand the safety profile. And we saw, obviously, at the beginning of vaccination that um, we don't normally give pregnant women mm. any drug. Um, we have to test it out specifically in pregnant women. Yes. And so, you know, originally all the vaccines were not being given to, to pregnant women until some sort of real world studies have been done and so forth. So those things are now, we have the data. We have the data that says it's safe in pregnant women. Mm. Most of the vaccines, in fact, all of them, I think there hasn't been anything that has come out to say there's any adverse effect, both for the mother and the baby. It's safe to get to get the vaccines. And another fact that we're seeing, which is pushing us more, is that, you know, we, we can have like a 25-year-old, perfectly healthy pregnant woman, mm. no illness, catches COVID and dies. Mm. Those are the things that are pushing us to realize that pregnant women are at higher risk. Yes. Um, so they need to get the vaccine. And so this group of women are the ones that are avoiding the vaccine. But in reality, they're the ones that need it most. Amongst all women, if you look at it, the ones who are pregnant um, would need it more than a non-pregnant woman at any age. Because they're, you know, I think and we know pregnancy does things to your body, yes, it, it changes does. your immunity. I, I, when I was pregnant, I, I just was surprised how my body changed. I used to be the healthiest, I used to be like mm. the fittest person. 
I was so wondering how how exhausted I was, how tired <laughs> I was, how easily I, you know, I was always the one in my family that would never get any affection. Like literally, I always be like, you guys are weak. <laughs> <laughs> and then suddenly I was, I was pregnant and I was like a little sniffle and I was like down, you know, mm. that's your bodies do change during pregnancy. And I think that's why, you know, women who are pregnant are at higher risk because they, you know, your sort of your immunity, your body's yeah. ability to fight off any infection is not as it would normally. So it's really, really important. I think that's one of the things when you're looking at equality and equity issues to think women who are pregnant need the information to make this choice and to understand and to be well informed. Because as I said, the real issue we're facing now is that people have the wrong information. They yeah. don't have the right information and they're making the wrong decisions and they're losing their lives. Yes. Um, on the same point, um, when we're talking about women and how COVID-19 has affected women, you know, globally, um, um, reports and research has shown that it is mostly men who are dying mm -hmm. um, from COVID. However, when we look at the broader picture of who exactly is affected, yes, the men are dying, and that is very incredibly unfortunate, and mm -hmm. of course, we do need to address that. Mm -hmm. However, we also need to look at, um, you know, who is at the, at the, on the front lines mm -hmm. when it comes to the COVID-19 response, and we can see a majority um, of the workforce in, in, in care work is women, mm -hmm. whether it is paid or formalized yeah. or unpaid. Yeah. I mean, that is a lot of the nurses are women and yeah. the nurses are the ones who are taking care of mm -hmm. these sick people in the hospitals. And then we go into the households where it is either mm -hmm. mothers, sisters, grandmothers, aunties, yeah. and we, it also goes down to domestic help, yeah. who are a majority of domestic help, especially in Malawi, are women. Mm -hmm. And some of those women are elderly women. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, when when it comes to prioritization of, of, of who gets the vaccine, um, women have not been put into that group. Now, I want to talk about, you know, how necessary is it to put women in that group? Because women are being exposed to the virus a lot more than men. And that is not to come from a, a point of negating, you know, men. men. Yeah. However, it is a, a point of recognition that women are taking care of the elderly, the sick, and taking care of the, the, the men, and taking care of everybody. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, I think that, you know, as I said, when you factor in a lot of the things like who who is highly exposed, as mm. we've said, it's health workers, it's people with comorbidities, it's, it's the elderly, and those are the ones who are at highest risk. I think as new variants come along, some of these are being broken, right? Like I've said, you've seen young people, I've had a colleague, like I said, who lost somebody at age 30, mm. who were so shocked, who were like, what's going on? Mm. Um, the fact is, I think for, for, for women, um, it might not necessarily be just saying women need to go to get the vaccine, but it's an importance of trying to highlight to women, as you've highlighted, that you are exposed often, you know, because of the kind of sort of work you do, whether it's at home or because of what thing you do, get the vaccine. Because I think that's the thing is like to really get people to understand their risk. Um, you know, I, I think most people sometimes feel that they're not at risk for some mm -hmm. reason. Um, um, and this is behavior change issues, but I think you have to have your own perceived risk. Yeah. And I think the important thing for our messaging is to provide that, whether it's in a feminist way or just to give information of like, well, you know what, you, as, a, as a caregiver, as a mother or mm -hmm. as a sister or as a health worker, as a female, um, this is good for you, not just because, you know, and I think it depends on what level you want to put it. It's good for you because you'll stay healthy mm. and for yourself and you'll be able to do all the work that you want to do. But it's also good for if you care so much about your family, if you care so much about your, you know, whatever it is that whoever else you're, you're caring for, it's good that you should be protected because mm. you're not going to be able to, to look after somebody if you're sick. Yeah. Um, so yourself and you're not going to look after somebody if you're also like in a, in a hospital bed. Um, struggling to breathe, for example. Mm. So I think there's layers and layers of things that we can put on, on place. I think that um, 
you know, we, from a health perspective, we haven't done as much of that to try and maybe address the specific needs and demands of women. Mm. I think the messaging has been very generalized, but I think it's important, like in these platforms where we try and engage women and say, okay, you know what, we know there's these issues. We know you, you could get sick. Yeah. Um, what do you care about, about women uh, as women? Is it your income? You know, because you can lose income. You also lose income. You lose your, um, you know, wherever. If you're working, you have to take time off to go look after somebody who's sick. You're losing income. You're losing your, you know, sort of livelihoods and all of these things. So there's a lot of things that I think we can have conversations with women. And you're right. I think there's also conversations we need to have with men. Normally, I think women are actually more... Um, accepting of, of health interventions. <laughs> um, so we see that often, actually, is that, you know, because women are the ones who take people to the hospital, they're the ones who take children to the hospital, they go to the hospital often because of our own sort of we're going for period things and whatever, we're more yeah. likely to engage with health things. So it's been surprising and I think sad to see that that is suddenly, we're losing that gain for women in terms mm -hmm. of accessing health because of challenges in understanding. Um, but um, then again, I think that they should be, a gendered fact for men too, because I think men are the worst um, to try and get medication, <laughs> no, uh, to, try and, um, to try and get them to do. So, the, you know, I think there's, there's a general message for everyone. You know, if you have these comorbidities and whatnot, come get the vaccine. And then I think you're right, that there's potential to start to really looking at these different fractions of like, what is the message we need to give men? Yes. You know, for men to say, hey, well, guess what? Even if you're a healthy young man, um, I think somebody put it in a very interesting way to say that, um, a, a young person who's 30 um, and unvaccinated, uh, their risk of dying from COVID is the same as someone who's 70. And, you know, and that's, that's not right. Like, you, yeah. you, you sort of, you've, you've suddenly added years of risk to yourself. Um, if you had the vaccine, you'd be fine. You'd be this 30-year-old fun person. Whereas now you're sort of going to that extreme of being, you know, sort of, you know, 70 and, and elderly and, and at risk. So those yeah. are things that we need to be able to communicate and, and really look at all these different sectors and say, this is what we care for for you. You need to do this and, and get the vaccine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, that is, I think, a very important thing, especially um, as we continue to go forward, mm -hmm. um, as we're approaching this, this global target. Mm -hmm. I think when we now sit down as a country, especially like for, for, for the Ministry of Health, to now maybe sort of come up with a... a we definitely need a different um, yes. kind of plan, mm -hmm. um, a recovery plan moving forward because we've already not reached the 10% mm -hmm. target. We haven't even reached 5% yeah, of no, the no, target. No, yeah. um, now to maybe how, or maybe, maybe I should ask it this way, what does the Ministry of Health need to do moving forward? I think you, you sort of started talking about it because I think the messages were disseminated widely, but in a very generic way. Um, and I think we need to start to probe the reasons mm. why specific groupings might not be accessing the vaccines. And that's the work that's happening now, is to understand yeah. why is it that, for example, this group of people is not accessing? Is it because of religious issues? Do we need to come at it from a religious point of view? Is it a gender issue? Do men feel like they don't need to like get the vaccine? Is it women? For example, as I'm saying, a lot of women are shunning the vaccine because they're worried about fertility. Is that so? You need to then start to really specifically target the real core beliefs, attitudes that are leading to people not accessing the vaccine, and that's where the real inequality is now. Because there's, in reality, I think in health we always find that there's people who don't need much convincing. Yes, there's people who will just be like, "Go get the vaccine." They're like, "Okay, <laughs> good. I'm ready to go. I'm yeah. good to go." And those are the ones we've seen. So there, there were people that didn't need much convincing. All you needed to do was tell them the date, the mm -hmm. time, the venue. They were, they were there. there. They were there. Those ones we're done with. We now need to have very specific targeted interventions, and especially as you've highlighted already, the rural. Mm. Um, you know, I think our rural 
population is lagging way behind. Um, again, because of a lot of myths, lack of information, lack of the right information to make the decisions, yeah. um, lack of communicating and, and really engaging the, the leaders and everybody, the community structures to utilize them. Because sometimes, I mean, for some people, yes, the president is doing something. Yes, Dr. Bridget says something. But if my chief tells me something, I'm going to yeah. do it. Yes. Or if my, 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 my pastor says something, mm. I'm going to do it. Yeah. So I think it's to bring it to that local level to the person that they now believe that even my leader believes I should do this and they agree with me and it's fine. I think that's where, that's the level that we're trying to get to. I know the ministry is trying to do that now, but we need to do more of it because that's that's where we're lacking now is there's a lot of people who probably would have gone to get the vaccine if we're trying to reach them <laughs> that way. Um, you know, so yes, continuing with these other ones, posters and whatnot, but really getting the message down to the person where, you know, if I trust you as Jessica and I'm like, whatever Jessica says, I'll believe it. Yeah. Then that those are the people that we need to start working on and understanding what is it that they what is it that's really breaking them from going. And as I said right now, the vaccines are in every facility. Mm. So it, it, you know, we can bring it closer to the people, but sometimes people won't buy if they don't realize that, you know, or they won't get it. So I think there's there's that extra push that is required right now to try and get people to accept. All right. Um, we've had quite a long conversation, yeah, um, and you know, as we've seen, there's so much that needs to be discussed, and which is why we we want to have this vaccine quality um series where we talk about these different issues. Um, you know, we're, we're having this on the podcast, we're also going to have this on the newsletter, and then also going to have this on the on the webinar, um, which will also sort of launch the response classroom. Yeah. Um, but you 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 know now we need to you know we're towards the end. Um, I just want to know two things from you. Um, the first one, you talked about the vaccine is available in every facility. Maybe just highlight which facilities where people can access the vaccine right now. Sure. So um, as some, most people will be aware, we've had two types of vaccine. We've had um, AstraZeneca, which is a two-dose vaccine, mm -hmm. um, and that should be available in most of the public facilities. I think some districts, for example, Blanca is actually doing outreach. So wow. you know, if you're able to engage them, if you have any event or anything, you can have the district. The district is available to actually come to you any event or any wow. place and do okay. outreach, things like that. But most districts are have, in their health centers will have the vaccine available. So um, again, I think it's just a matter of people who, those ones who are lagging behind to really get, um, try and access information specific to their districts, um, mm. because each district will let you know that it's now available in the district or in this facility and so forth. So mm. it's, it's, it's something that people, again, it does need some proactive activity, <laughs> but I also know that some of the districts are doing um, you know, those cars that go around and tell you that this vaccine is available in these places, so those mm. activities are going on. Um, so I would advocate for people, those who have um, both in urban and rural, surprisingly, I think one of the other things I've seen is um, um, we assume that the urban have listened, some of them have not. No. Um, <laughs> I have colleagues that have been like, so you still haven't been vaccinated? Okay. And you're my friend still, and you watch all my videos, and you like them, and you say, <laughs> and you say oh, good, good, good. Um, uh, you know, so I think that there's, again, because there is a little wave of like people who are early adopters, and I think there's a little bit of time for people to really, whatever, I would advocate for people who are still trying to figure out, um, if you have questions, ask the questions, then you'll mm -hmm. get the answers. Um, you know, I think there are places and, you know, people like myself, the Ministry of Health, there are other, other doctors and other health providers who are trying to disseminate this information so mm -hmm. it's accessible, it's easy for you to get this. And I think opportunities like this where we have these conversations yeah. are great because it's just 
more angles for people to understand. You know, maybe somebody had a very feminist view about it. Now they have had this thing. <laughs> maybe somebody had a very, you know, sort of specific view about it. And then we try to engage in all these platforms so that people can get the vaccine. And and it's not forced upon you. You know, I think that's one of the things where it's a voluntary thing, but you have to, you know, then we have to give you the right information to make that voluntary Absolutely. choice. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, what's the one thing that you want young people, especially young women, to know right now? Um, about the vaccine, I think it's it's safe. Um, I know that um, right now we are advocating for people 18 and above to get uh, the vaccine locally. We've just seen some news of, um, I think it was Pfizer, that is now um, proven and approved for below, t- you know, sort of 12 years and above. So yeah. I think... Um, the vaccines are going through the normal process. They're not, you know, they haven't skipped a step. They've gone through the full process that any drug or any vaccine does go through vetting so they are safe. Um, I think that it's important for people, especially young women, to get the vaccine, as I've highlighted, especially those who might be interested in getting pregnant or and so forth. There's no effect on your fertility. You'll be fine. You'll have babies, tons of babies if you want to. <laughs> um, if you want to. And those who are pregnant, again, because they're the highest risk that... Um, it would be important for them to try and get the vaccine, um, especially because we've seen perfectly healthy pregnant women suddenly die from COVID. Yes. Um, so it's, you know, we don't want to, I think it's, we don't want to lose any more lives. Um, we want everybody to stay alive and healthy and contribute to this country. So in the ideal sense, get the vaccine and be able to contribute. All right. Thank you so much for joining yeah. us today, um, Dr. V. I think you know, um, for more information, um, or, or especially or your videos are very informative. I think people can just follow you yep. um, on your social media, which you will have to mention. <laughs> um, we'll also share it on our social media platform so that people follow you sure. um, and, and get the necessary and accurate information sure. that they need. Um, but, you know, as we've come to, to the end of our episode, I wish we had more time sure, to have this conversation. <laughs> But for more information and details on today's topic, please download um, the upcoming issue of The Response for free from our website, which is www.forequalityafrica.org or our Telegram channel, which is at The Response. And to join in on the discussion, to share your thoughts, find us on our social media pages at The Response underscore AFR. I'll say that again, at The Response underscore AFR and join in the conversation, tag us, Send in your messages. Um, send us questions for Dr. V as well. Yeah, we'll sure. be That's sure to good. forward them. Um, you have been with me today, Jessica Mandanda, your host, and Dr. Bridget Malozi. Join us again next time for another episode of The Response Podcast. The response is curated and produced under For Equality, a Pan-African women's rights organization working towards a gender equal and just Africa.